Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. A warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. You can probably tell from the sound of my voice that I am not Bill Arnold. I am instead Peter Kapsner filling in for hour one for Bill today here on the show. And I'm in studio here with Rebecca Maxwell. Rebecca, always great to see you as well Good in to studio. Good to see you, Peter. It's always nice to have you around. And we are appropriately social distancing right now. We've got yes. all the requisite cleaning supplies here in studio as well. Yes, it smells lemony fresh. It does indeed. <laughs> and today being Thursday, we of course have Guy Talk on the docket here with at least part of the usual cast of characters and pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. We're hoping to be joined later by former pastor and the current University of Northwestern head of chapel, secret agent Justin Jepson as well. We'll see if he can check in a little later in this hour. And of course, the guys are here to take your questions as listeners, whatever they may be, be matters of faith or Bible, theology, relationships, marriage, parenting, life, death, you name it, the guys will take it and you can text your questions in at any time in this hour. We'd love to hear from you at 877-933-2484. That is 877-93-FAITH. And you can also send us an email, if you like, to bill at myfaithradio.com. We will definitely take your questions on the air. So we'd love to hear from you this afternoon. Let's take 60 seconds, and we will get started. There's a 35-year-old man who is very religious. In fact, he's probably more devoted to his walk than you are. Prayer is important to him, and he meets with his maker faithfully every single day. He gathers with religious friends several times a week without neglecting an opportunity. He studies and memorizes. For this man, his whole life revolves around obedience to his God. But one thing is missing. Ahmed has never heard about Jesus. His God is not the God of the Bible. Ahmed doesn't pray to a personal savior. His book is the Quran. He lives in a country where there are less than 100 Christians. On the International Day for the Unreached, Sunday, May 31st, believers will be praying for the Ahmeds of this world. Begin by downloading the Great Commission Action Guide at dayfortheunreached.org. May our hearts be broken for those who have no access to the gospel. Let's pray. Let's advocate. Let's share. And let's go. Dayfortheunreached.org. You know, Tom Brock and Tom Parrish, uh, this Nothing From Nothing Gets Nothing song. Uh, where, did, where did Bill get this to introduce the two of us and then me when I'm also in that uh, chair that you guys are in? Uh, are, you, are you guys yeah. offended by this at all? I, I'm, uh, my self-image is just harmed by that song. <laughs> well, I try not to let it bother me too bad, but hey, let's be honest, we're... All not much of anything without the Lord. Oh, hey, that's a, good, that's a very good point, Parrish. Well, that is the voice of Tom uh, Brock and Tom Parrish that you hear. They join us every Thursday on Guy Talk. Usually, I'm in one of your chairs as well, the host for today, you guys. And join us in the conversation. Appreciate you being here. And I know I was reading this week about some headlines around the coronavirus, and I'm sure many of our listeners at least have had the thought flit across their mind, is this the end? 
Is this it? Are the horsemen riding? Has the apocalypse started? Is there, have the seals been broken? Are we in sort of the last seven years of the Great Tribulation? Where's the rapture? Like all of these kinds of questions. And sure enough, this week an article came out where some biblical scholars, and I'm putting the word scholars in quotes because I don't know what their credentials actually are, but they said they actually can see the horsemen riding, that this is the start of the apocalypse. So, guys, is this the end? Is, is the virus uh, the end of all things for this world? Tom, I'll let you go first. Well, okay, two quick thoughts. Number one, um, there are certain signs that have to happen before the return of Christ. One is, Jesus said, the whole world will be evangelized and hear the gospel. That quite hasn't happened yet, but we are getting close. I think Paul teaches in Romans 9, 10, and 11 that there will be a large conversion of Jews to Christ before the second coming. Um, then the Antichrist has to show up and start persecuting Christians. And so, you know, whether some of that's, you know, it's not, the, the problem is, uh, Luther thought the Pope was the Antichrist. <laughs> In the 1940s, some Europeans thought Hitler was the Antichrist. And so the first thing to say is, you know, let's be very careful. I, I think I've shared before, Peter, when I was 14 years old, I had a dream where I saw Jesus, and he lifted up his hands to heaven and said, God's time will come in 18 years. And 18 years from when I was 14 was back in 1986. And in 1986, I was on my toes. And what happened? Absolutely nothing. And that taught me that you can have a dream or you can read the Bible and think, here's the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. Well, not necessarily. And Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. So I get nervous when people say this is that and know that uh, Isaiah something or other is being fulfilled because Trump did something yesterday. And I, I don't think so. Parrish, be careful, because I, being not only a pastor, but really into history, I've really looked hard over the last 40 years at what history says about this. Interesting, there's a good book out called The Day and the Hour, and I'd recommend it. I think Gary DeMar is the author. One thing that struck me, though, is that he pointed out that virtually every decade since Jesus rose from the dead, Somewhere in the world, there was a major prophecy that this was the end time. Well, we passed 2,000, almost 2,000 years. Is Jesus coming again? Yes, he is. There's no doubt about that. The good news is I'm going to be there one way or the other. If I'm on earth when he comes, then I'll join him in the air. If I die and go to be with him, the scriptures say I will come with him and all the saints at that final moment. One of the neat things I've had an opportunity to do as a historian is sit down with people and talk to them. I have had the privilege of talking with two people, quite old, of course now, once deceased, who were Hitler youth. They had been part of Hitler's brigade of youth in the 1930s. I've also talked with one Holocaust survivor, right, an interview with them. I've also had a chance to talk with a World War II prisoner of war, Allied or bomb pilot who was shot down. And it's interesting to talk to them because each one of them came from a Christian background. And when I talked to them about that, they all said the same thing. We felt for sure this was it, because it couldn't get any worse than Auschwitz, Buchenwald, you know, Dachau, and a lot of those places. Well, it didn't happen. So I tell people this, simply this, and I'm very serious about this. For me, the real issue is not the nearness of the signs or the, the four, horse, four horsemen of the apocalypse when Jesus returns, but it is being ready right now. I have no guarantee uh -huh. for tomorrow. I have no guarantee I'll be here tonight. I have to be ready for Jesus at this moment. And if the second coming occurs and I'm ready, praise God. If it doesn't occur yep. right now, 
praise God, because I'm still going to be with Jesus. And so I tell people, are you ready today? And if you are, you're all set. Mm. You know, you guys, you, you, yeah, go ahead, Tom. Well, Peter, you're the professor. Do you, I mean, when when I when I was in, at Bethel College, I can remember my senior year in being part of a Bible study with students that don't don't buy a car, don't do anything this year. This year is going to be a huge catastrophe. Nothing happened. Do you hear that kind of talk in your students, or what do you think? Well, we you know we've gone on all uh, online with all the classes, so I don't get a chance to have sort of the regular conversations that I otherwise might with students and be able to sort of pick their brains formally and informally. But I, I do think. What I am hearing is, again, sort of a heightened fascination with things related to the end times. People are more willing to engage in the conversation, and, and they're wondering, really, is this it? And, and listening to both of you guys talk, I'm curious what you would say about, is, is there sort of an unusual fascination in general with end times kinds of things? I mean, I, I don't remember how many years ago it was that the Mayan calendar was sort of coming to this uh-huh. mysterious uh-huh. end, right? And all the predictions of the end of the world that were coming from that. We had some fun in one of my classes about that. Rebecca Maxwell saying it was 2012. And I remember that we kept the countdown going on our little classroom computer clock because the students wanted to know if they were going to have to finish their finals or not. It was going to happen <laughs> in November, right? So we had a good time wondering about we're that. Yeah, exactly. But there, there was a lot of conversation. And you guys both talking about how many different times, even in our own lives, people have said, this is it. This is the end. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be a consistent theme. Is there any explanation for sort of the unusual fascination of when the earth is going to end? Well, I think it's pretty simple when you get down to it. What was Adam and Eve's problem in the garden? They wanted to be God. They wanted to know the difference between right and wrong. They wanted control. Nothing's changed, even among Christians. You know, I have to daily surrender to Jesus because usually by about 9 a.m., I'm back in control of the world. And so I have to get on my knees and really say, Jesus, you're in control, not me. I think the fascination with the end times is not as much as I have ever seen fascination with Jesus' return Mm. as people figuring out what's happening so they kind of have the inside knowledge. And that becomes part of the problem because we don't have the inside knowledge. What we do have knowledge of is who Jesus is, what he's called us to do in terms of making disciples and living for him. And yet, here's a, this is my pet peeve. I have seen many conferences on the second coming. I will guarantee you, you hold a conference on the second coming tomorrow, you will have four to five pe- 5,000 people show up. Man, they will be there. There will be enthusiasm. And if you've written a book on it, it will sell. On the other hand, you hold a conference on making disciples, which is our command from Scripture. You'll <laughs> yeah. be lucky if you get 50 people there. Mm. And it just tells me how warped our, our look is. We want control rather than being obedient to go out and make disciples. And my goal is to make disciples even in the last hour of my life. Mm, that's a great answer, Tom. Brock, I mean, any, any further add on to that? I, I, can't, I can't top that. Yeah, Next. right? <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> it seems to me I love it. Well, and listeners, if you've got some follow-up questions just even around the end times and some different things you've been thinking about, we'd love to hear from you. You can text the studio at 877-933-2484, or you can email us at bill at myfaithradio.com. Guys, we're going to just take a short break. We come back, I'm going to ask you if you found any silver linings in the midst of this global change, this global catastrophe. Where do we see God at work with that? So stay with us here. More to come on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. It's 
Of course, Rebecca Maxwell spot on with a little bit of bumper music there on the end of the world as we know it. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Bill Arnold for our one here today on Thursday. And we are enjoying God, Guy Talk as we do on Thursday afternoons with pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish. And you guys, curious what uh, what life is like for you. Have you found some silver linings in the, the pretty major changes I think we've all experienced? I know I was in with a chiropractor about a week ago or so, and she said, we, we definitely have to continue to be mindful and obviously sympathetic and, and be thinking about our brothers and sisters that have really been impacted by this virus. It has been horrible in so many different parts of the globe, but there also can be silver linings, and we don't want to feel bad for those silver linings at the same time, holding the tension of both. Have you guys found some silver linings in this? Well, you know, Peter, my prayer regularly is, Lord, send as many people out, may the most number of people come to Christ before the second coming. Mm-hmm. And and God, do whatever you have to to do that. And so uh, in my lifetime, uh, I have seen America just fall away from the Lord. And it's going to take some pretty radical surgery to get our attention again. That's why I don't think this thing is going to go away quickly. If God is really going to get our attention, sad to say, this thing is going to have to last for a while. And, you know, I, 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 it just, we've become so complacent in America. We've stopped going to church. People don't think about God anymore. There's no fear of God before our eyes anymore. And so I, I hope, I hope, I, I, I honestly, I don't see much sign that people are coming to the Lord through this. I've heard that, I've, I heard that Greg Laurie had a sermon where a lot of people are coming to Christ, you know, through his church, and that's about the only thing I've heard. But um, the, the silver lining is that when things like this happen, people start thinking about God again. Yeah, I think they really start asking the right questions. Uh, one of the great opportunities I had when I was younger, I think I was still in seminary. Jan and I were newly married, no kids yet. Uh, went over to see an aunt who was getting out early and her husband who had throat cancer. And I remember being alone with Uncle Richard. Uh, Jan and, and my aunt Thorne went out to the garden, sat with Uncle Richard. And I said, Uncle Richard, I've known you all my life. You've been a very bad man. And he was. He had been a Ku Klux Klanner. He had uh, been involved in running bootleg liquor across Lake Erie during the winters. Uh, he had run around on my aunt. I mean, nothing was new. Everybody knew that. And I said, so what are you going to say when you stand before Jesus? And, you know, I could have asked him that question for 24 years of my life, and he would have just blown me off. That day, since he knew we only had three to six months to live, he broke down in tears and actually confessed to me his sins. Now, here's an 80-year-old guy confessing to me all the sins he's committed. I'm 25 years old. I'm thinking, what do I do with all this? And then he says, I don't think Jesus could ever accept me. I'll tell you guys, he gave me the greatest opportunity to present the gospel. And here's this 80-year-old man dying of cancer, can hardly move, got on his knees with me in tears and repented and asked Jesus to come into his life. After he died for the next 10 years, every time I'd see my aunt, she'd say, you know, Richard and I were married 62 years, but the last three months since you came to visit were the best we ever had. Hmm. That's what I'm beginning to see. People are beginning to ask questions. I'm getting phone calls. I'm getting texts. I'm getting emails from people asking questions about the end, asking questions about what happens at death asking questions about that right and left. And it's really an open door. And not only lay people, I'm getting pastors that are calling me an atheist. So for me, at least, I'm getting a lot of contact, and it's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You guys, we have a question coming in from a listener as well to clarify perhaps the terms uh, end times versus the rapture. What are we talking about here when we use these kind of terms? 
Well, well <laughs> it depends. It time. depends. On, go ahead, Tom. Well, the word rapture means caught up. It does talk about being caught up to meet the Lord in the air in First Thessalonians. A lot of Christians in America believe that seven years before Christ returns in the clouds, we're, we're caught up and we disappear and we go to heaven. And then the bad stuff hits, the tribulation, and then Christ comes down. Uh, Peter and Tom and audience, even if you've been taught that 100% by your church, I don't think it's biblical. And most Christians for 2,000 years have believed that when Christ comes down, that is when Christians are, are taken up to glory, not seven years before. So uh, that, that's, but for the rap, most people that believe in the rapture believe it happens seven years before the return of Christ. And, and they have verses they think that say that. I don't think it says that. And this belief did not come very, become very popular until the 1800s. So, you know, I like to interpret the scripture the way Christians have understood it for 2,000 years. And the pre-tribulation rapture just uh, is not really part much of the history of the church. And historically, uh, that's very accurate. There was very there was no talk about this historically until about 150 years ago, and then there was some teaching on this that came about. And the Schofield Bible was one that really helped put this into motion. Uh, when that came out, here's the problem I see: as I look at the passage in First uh, Thessalonians four. Actually, verse you know, 15, 16, and 17, talking about the Lord will descend from heaven with a loud cry, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, here's the verse that everybody talks about the rapture. Then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we'll be with the Lord forever. Okay, we have that. The problem is we don't have much more than that that even talks about that in any detail. And in, when I was confronted years ago by a group of people that were so caught up in the rapture, uh, they asked me why I didn't jump into it like they did. Now, do I believe that what the scripture says will happen? Yes, I do. Don't get me wrong. I do believe this. But on the other hand, you know, they said, well, why don't you hold our point of view? I said, because even within your framework of calling yourself premillennial, there are 12 different versions of what you believe. And your groups don't even get along. And that was true. Uh, there are 12 different approaches to this very verse, and those groups don't get along with one another, and they rarely talk to one another because the other ones are all wrong. So, you know, again, it's a great distraction away from Jesus and being submitted to him now because we're so excited about what's going to happen. And don't get me wrong. I look forward to the second coming. Matter of fact, folks, I will see you there. We will be there together. Well, and, you know, the other issue— if, uh, I'm, I'm guessing lots of people listening right now believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Okay, I disagree. I don't doubt your faith. I don't doubt your salvation. But there are people that are so big on believing the rapture. I mean, this is not the doctrine of the Trinity. This is not salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. This is a very secondary thing. But what concerns me is that some people think this is so important that if you don't believe it, that you're, then you're just uh, an unscriptural uh, Christian. In fact, I heard one preacher of—he uh, was a famous um, doctor of theology, whether he really was or not, I don't know. But he uh, he was a real uh, rapture proponent, and I heard him preach once and say, well, if you don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, then you just might be left behind. And I thought, 
give me a break. You know, talk about manipulating people with, with trying to get you to force you to believe their beliefs. So, again, if you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, you know, that's your belief. But it's not central to the faith. You know, I actually had that happen to me, Peter. I had a pastor from another church in 1987. Because remember, the big book came out, 88 Reasons Why yes, Jesus Will Return in 88. Yeah. He came to me from a large uh, church in, in the Twin Cities, and he said to me, I've been following your preaching. You're not saying much about the rapture and that it's going to happen in 88. I said, no, I don't see it scripturally. He says, well, I've read the book. I said, which book? He said, well, well, Winslet's book that wrote the, you know, about the 88 reasons. I said, well, I have two, but I don't see it the way you do. He told me, he said, Tom, you're going to be left behind. When yeah. Jesus comes, he's not going to take you into the kingdom. And I thought, I don't hear that anywhere in Scripture, that I'm saved by believing in the rapture. I'm saved by yeah. faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, it didn't happen in 88. So this author came up with another book, why it's going to happen in 89 didn't happen in 89. In 90, I get a call from yeah. this pastor, and he's he's dying. He's got a disease. He's dying. And he said, can I take you to lunch? We went to lunch, and he sat in front of me, guys, and he repented. He said, I accused you of not being right with the Lord, and I was the one that was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And I sure did forgive him, and I think three months later, he died. It and, really and got Tom, my attention on this kind of stuff. Yep. And if you remember, Tom, the guy that did write the 88 reasons the rapture has to happen in 1988, I think you just referenced this, did, when it didn't happen, he wrote a second book and why it's going to have to happen yeah. in 1990s. I mean, so, Peter, you're a Baptist, aren't you? <laughs> uh, I was at one point in my life, sure. Sort of. Uh, well, I mean, I've been through a number of denominations as I follow <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> all right. So, uh, give us your view on this. Yeah, you know, guys, I think what I'm most compelled by with all of this is um, that when you look back in the history when John wrote his revelation, right, that made it its way into the canon or into the final versions of Scripture, that what I didn't know that sort of blew me away a little bit in seminary when we studied some of this is that his was not the only apocalyptic form of literature written in that day, that there were some right. 300 other apocalypses written. It was it was a common way in which some authors would write to communicate certain kind of truths about our faith. and. And so the the common denominator in all of those apocalyptic kinds of literatures is the focus on you're under persecution, things are tough, there is suffering all around us right now. We're going to dress out that suffering and how difficult it might be to keep following Jesus in the midst of it. But let me give you a vision of hope at the end of all of this. And let me tell you that at the end of this world, Jesus is going to come. He is going to restore all things. Yes, That was the common theme among all of these different kinds of apocalyptic literatures that were put out there at that time. We do have John's revelation, but uh, of course, as you guys have referenced, a lot of different scholars have tried to interpret that revelation through a lot of different means by maybe focusing on world events. Do these things tie into revelation? Do they not? Uh, how do we understand that kind of reality? So I, I think... There's a lot of different ways the church has understood this. And Tom, to your point that you made earlier, to, to maybe focus on one way and be dogmatic about that, maybe missing the point overall of mm -hmm. the revelation itself. But with that, guys, we've got to leave it here for a short break and uh, appreciate the insight into some of the questions. If you're listening here to Guy Talk this afternoon, we'd love to hear from you as well at 877-933-2484. You can text the studio or you can hit us up over email at bill at myfaithradio.com. Dot com. When we come back from a short break here, gentlemen, I'm going to ask you about how online church is going and maybe what we're learning from that and what we're missing out on. So more to come here on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Hour One.
You know, Tom Brock and Tom Parrish, I think Bill might have the best bumper music around here. Just the, just the variety of options that he comes back with at this point. He and, uh, he and Rebecca do such a great job. Great to have you guys with us again. If you're listening here this afternoon, this is Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Hour One. Joined with uh, by Tom Parrish and Tom Brock here on Guy Talk. And did a lot of talk about end times. And I know a lot of people in, in the Christian communities have been thinking a lot about these things related to the virus. And Tom Brock, you uh, brought up an interesting point over the break here. You want to share with us what you were saying? Sure. You know, one other sign of the end is that there will be a falling away at the end of time from the church, and the church will get into doctrines of demons. And yesterday, I'm so happy because the Christian Post that has millions of readers published an article that I wrote about what has happened to the liberal evangelical Lutheran Church in America, of which Tom Parrish and I were both part of for many years. And I really feel a, a, a burden to tell people what that denomination is doing with their offering dollars to hopefully get them into a, 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 a both Tom and I left the ELCA for more biblical branches of, of the Lutheran church. And, and they printed every word and I'm kind of on cloud nine, but if I could just summarize quickly, real quick, what the ELCA is doing now, just, just, I'm going to list it real quick. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which is not evangelical, it's not Lutheran, I'm not sure it's a church, but hey, they're in America, or some of us say the ELCA stands for the Extremely Liberal Church in America, or everything Luther cautioned against. All right, listen to what they are doing. The ELCA pays for abortion for any reason whatsoever in its health care plan with offering dollars. So when you put uh, money in the plate, that can pay for your pastor's 16-year-old daughter's abortion. Uh, and I went, 97, I, I went to that convention to try to undo that. We lost two to one. Two summers ago, the ELCA had 31,000 teenagers at their teen convention. They put Nadia Bowles-Weber, a very radical pastor, on stage. She had the students repeat after me, I renounce the lie that queerness is anything other than beauty. Then they put an 11-year-old boy dressed up as a girl on stage to promote transgenderism. Back in uh, 2009, the ELCA decided to start ordaining practicing homosexual pastors, and now they've added to that. They now have transgender pastors in the ELCA. Uh, This last summer, the ELCA had a national convention to pass an interfaith resolution saying that, you know, they had a Buddhist on stage, a Muslim on stage, and others, and they tried to pass this interfaith resolution saying, we don't know what God thinks of non-Christian religions. One delegate, God bless him, got to the microphone and said, oh, yes, we do. John 14, 6 says Jesus is the only way of salvation. They voted the delegate down 97%, and the resolution went through. Uh, a Chicago newspaper asked the head bishop of the ELCA, Elizabeth Eaton, Dr. Eaton, is there a hell? Her response, there may be a hell, but I think it's empty. And now let me get you to the worst, <laughs> and then I'll shut up. But the ELCA has a congregation called Her Church in, Calif- in California. And I'm not making this up. You can go to herchurch.org. This church is an ELCA Lutheran church. They, they have a prayer on their website that they pray at the church, Our Mother Who Is Within Us. They're heavily into feminism. Uh, again, I'm not making this up. The woman pastor of the church took her women on a retreat. She gave them each a piece of clay so they could form their own 
Asherah statue so they could worship the forbidden divine feminine. I'm not making that up. And 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 this month, the ELCA promoted a prayer to our mother God, and they printed an article in the national magazine saying, where the woman said, God the Father is no longer enough for me. I need God the mother. So put this all together. If anybody listening uh, to this program is still an ELCA Lutheran, time to find a better branch, uh, a more biblical branch of the of the Lutheran Church. And, and this is, you know, to me, my grandmother would not believe this. Martin Luther is spinning like a lathe. And if you would have told me the church would become like this, even 20 years ago, I would have said you're nuts. This has just, this is a sign of the end, a falling away from the true faith. And and what's, what, what is most grievous is these people say they're all Christians. They say they're following Scripture. They have just reinterpreted it and gone off the cliff. Mm, Tom Parrish, have you heard of the phrase the remnant uh, that is common among some believers anywhere, saying that, according to what Brock was saying, that there's a sense in which there's going to be a, a true church that remains here all the way through to the end, but there's sort of a remnant. They're the ones that are left over that are still carrying the message of the kingdom, maybe as other churches begin to fall away and the faith really gets compressed among fewer and fewer people. Have you heard about this sort of theological oh, view? Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, Luther himself talked about the visible and the invisible church, that you've got the visible church, which goes through all the traditions and quotes the worship services, and that's all well and good. He was talking about Rome, of course, at that point. Then he said, then there's the invisible church, and that's the one where believers gather together, believe in their heart, pray together, and are much like the early church in terms of loving and caring for one another. So yes, that's absolutely out there. We're seeing the, that kind of a church really rising up in China, uh, in parts of Asia, uh, in parts of uh, you know the, the Middle East. It's very much what's going on, and I think it's going to happen here. And actually, I'll be honest, Peter, I've been preparing for this for 10 years. I believe we're going to face some major persecution in this country and I want to help equip the church to be prepared for that so that the Sunday we get shut down, the very following Sunday, there'll be churches in thousands of homes across the country, and people will know what to do. Is it fair to say that uh, persecution of the church tends to be the historical norm? If you become a student of history and look back over 2,000 years, that church churches have tend to exist more often in a setting of persecution versus a setting of freedom? They thrive better. They honestly thrive better. The easier we have it, the more luxuries we have, the easier it is to, quote, worship and do what we want. It seems like those people have the hardest time staying secure on the Lord Jesus. Those under persecution, it is incredible how they will risk everything, including their families, to stand up for the gospel. I've had the privilege of meeting some of those people uh, and actually sit and talk with them who have been persecuted, who've gone through very bad times. And they look at me like, what's wrong with you if you don't understand that everything is worth it for Jesus? And of course, I know that, but they wanted to emphasize to me they're willing to die for him. And I'm not sure how many American Christians are even at that point. That's not a put down. It's just a reality of what we're dealing with. And Tom Brock, you referenced the idea that at least in some circles, people are beginning to worship Asherah again, which is sort of this idea of the feminine that we mm-hmm. actually see within uh, some of the Canaanite communities of the Old Testament as well. So yeah. this has been a goddess that has been perpetrated throughout many generations. This, you just wonder if in the midst of persecution, if uh, it gets down to what Parrish just said, the idea of what are you willing to die for, right? Are people going to mm-hmm. be willing to die for these kinds of things that maybe in in sort of the um, freedom that we've lived in, we've explored a lot of different ideas in that freedom. But at the end of the day, if persecution hits, these might not be things that people are willing to die for. 
No, I, I, absolutely they won't. In fact, once uh, and what I just listed with the ELCA Lutherans is also going on in the United Church of Christ, which, believe it or not, is even more liberal, the Episcopal Church in America, the Presbyterian Church USA, and now the Disciples of Christ. Same demonic stuff going on in those denominations. And the good news is all of those denominations are shrinking. Uh, the ELCA, of which I used to be a part, uh, last year they had they sold a an ELCA seminary building to the Muslims because they're into interfaith. You know, uh, my seminary, Luther Seminary, had to sell off some of its buildings. Two seminaries in in Pennsylvania had to merge. And and what happened? If you'd Google the words "biggest church split in American history," you'll get an article about what happened in 2009 when the ELCA decided to ordain practicing homosexuals. That would that chart caused such a huge split. And ever since 2009, the ELCA has been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So, I mean, would you die for a church that says all roads lead to heaven? I wouldn't. Hmm. Why? You know, in fact, one of the one of the reasons we know Jesus rose from the dead is because the early Christians were so convinced he rose from the dead that they died before they would deny that. All right. If, if all roads lead to heaven and you don't need to believe in Christ, why die for anything? You know what I mean? So, yeah. And it's interesting, too, with all these shifts that have happened sort of suddenly upon us over these last six months, obviously the way we're doing church even has changed dramatically to much more of a virtual or online setting. Uh, are you guys attending a church on an online uh, basis? And, and what has that been like? I am on a regular basis. I've got several churches, not only the church I normally go to in the Twin Cities, but a church in Phoenix and a church in North Dakota. And of course, these are all guys that I've worked with and were interns. So it's just kind of fun to see the approach that each one's taking. Um, they're all doing a good job, and it's, it's filling in a gap. And I've encouraged them to also do midweek Bible studies and to provide plenty of free downloads from their website on topics and things like that for people that want to get them by computer because people are isolated, and, and they look forward to that. And I know that in the, the church that I go to, it's not a large church. It's quite small in the middle of the Twin Cities. But it's there for a strategic reason. We're, we're trying to minister to the Muslim community. What's interesting about it is that if we get 100 people on Sunday to come to that church, we do online church. We have five, six, seven hundred people that are tuning in and participating. And you can write right in and chat back and forth. So it's having some effect long term. I don't know what it'll do, but it's powerful right now. And, and Peter, now this is selfish, but... The, the coronavirus has been good for my ministry. Now, I mean, I have a church and I attend a church, but uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. But I have a TV show on Sunday mornings at nine o'clock here in the Twin Cities, and people are seeing it that have never seen it because they're normally in church. So the, it's been good for me. <laughs> What's <laughs> but, the name of the um, show again, Tom? For if our listeners are interested, it, yeah, yeah, it's called the Pastor Study. And if, if people just go to pastorstudy.org, two S's, they'll get all the times because we're on all over the country now, and we're on an Minneapolis at three different times a week. So just pastorstudy.org, you'll see the times there. Uh, what, what are we missing in the online for you guys in terms of just, is, is the gathering, the missing out on people, has it been affecting you in terms of just that presence? It seems like in the silver linings and the things that have been positive in this, that it's that human contact that is the thing we're missing mm -hmm. most. Mm -hmm. And communion. Well, I, I, I miss Holy Communion. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We, you know, we're social creatures. Let's be honest. Even I keep hearing them say, after this pandemic's over, it's going to change how we social interact. You know, we've got to keep our distancing and all of a sudden. No, we won't. That'll go on for about three to four months. And then people get closer and closer and closer. 
that's the way we're made. We're not made to be 10 feet apart when we're talking. We're meant to be closer. And I think especially at church, people want to interact with one another. They want to talk to one another. They want to hear what's happening in their lives. They want to pray together and sing together. So I think it's going to last for a while, but I don't think it's going to last long term. Well, I understand that uh, just to change the subject a little bit here, too, Rebecca, we have a question coming in from a listener that we'll want to get to you after a short break here in just a minute. But I would love your guys' take on it. And we can tie it into actually the death of Little Richard here over these last couple of days. As a rock musician, we have a question coming in from Wingman Terry about whether or not Christians can listen to rock music. So I would love to get your take on that, even as music has changed in the church over all these years. And uh, if you've got a question as well, we've got one more segment coming up. We'd love to hear from you at 877-933-2484. You can text that in or you can email us at bill at myfaithradio.com. We are with pastors Tom Parrish and Tom Brock. I'm Peter Kapsner here filling in an hour one for Bill Arnold on Afternoons with Bill. It is about 14 minutes for the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Bill Arnold here on Hour One this afternoon and joined by a little less than usual cast of characters, Tom Brock and Tom Parrish, but we know they're more than capable of carrying the conversation. You guys have done a great job here this afternoon. Appreciate being on with the two of you. And we did have a listener uh, text in a question. And uh, Rebecca, you've got that for us here. Yes, this Peter is about rock music and whether or not it's acceptable for a Christian to listen uh, to popular music, but specifically like rock music or heavy metal. Uh, and he adds, I know it's a fine line between being legalistic and loving when confronting this topic. Uh, and he adds that he likes praise music and the traditional and modern Christian music, but uh, he did purchase Joe Satriani's guitar rock instrumental latest album. So, <laughs> got, A got mix it. of everything. Yeah. All right. Brock, you want to go first in this one? <laughs> well, first of all, it, this all came up with little Richard dying this week. And, you know, I was watching, I think, the ABC National News, and they said little Richard was gay, quiet about it because of the, you know, Eisenhower era, but yes, he was gay and he led the way and inspired people like Elton John to, you know, be a gay musician. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, he had that problem. But as I remember, I could be wrong, but as I remember reading on this, he in his last years turned away from all that. He did, indeed. of all. And he, he preached Christ. He gave yes. out salvation tracts. And so for them to make him a hero of the gay movement just showed somebody's bias at ABC News. That said... Um, uh, there's certainly uh, rock music we shouldn't listen to that has the F word and has sexual lyrics and and um, so definitely. But I, you know, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and it's kind of like eating meat uh, if, uh, offered to idols. You know, God God made that meat, and so uh, you know you can eat meat as long you know. But if somebody tells you this is offered to an idol, then don't. All right, I can listen to Frank Sinatra and enjoy it. <laughs> I can listen to, you know, even, uh, but there's also times I know I got to turn that song off because it's bad. But so I don't think anything's wrong with enjoying all kinds of music. Um, but when it gets bad, you turn it off. You know, growing up in the 60s, uh, I heard a lot of this rock music and kind of followed it off and on. But I still love my 50s and 60s rock music. However, what I've learned to do over the years now with YouTube and the ability to use the Internet I actually go look at the lyrics on some of these songs. And some of them are just fine. They're just great songs, and I have no issue at all. 
Uh, but there are other ones, the lyrics, even back in the 60s, were pretty horrible when he got right down yeah. to them. Yeah. And so I had to become more discerning. And so I, I said, you know, I like the beat. I like the sound. Um, and so I've made a habit for whatever it's worth. Uh, I do a lot of singing to old rock songs and put my own words in. Because uh, you can actually separate the tracks if you have the main to do it. But yeah, there's a lot of it that that's just is no good. But I think it's we've got to look at everything that way. There is a lot. Uh, my wife loves to listen to contemporary Christian music. And sometimes I want to blow my stack because the theology is so bad in those songs. Some of it is really good. Don't get me wrong. But some of it is so bad. But, you know, we sing along with this stuff, not really thinking about what we're doing. And that's what TV and media has done to us sociologically in moving us away from Jesus to let's be loving and tolerant. Well, music does that, too. All I'm saying is, you know, look at the, what the words say, look at what the song's about and use your own judgment. One of the things that little Richard had to say, too, is he said, you know, my music is going to have the ability to bring joy into people's lives, even if it's not directly talking about God and his kingdom. And I'd be curious your yeah. thoughts on that idea. Do you, is, there, is there the same quality of joy available in something that is not distinctively Christian? Or is there something distinctively Christian about the joy we might experience when maybe we're singing a hymn or a theologically astute worship song or engaging in the scriptures? Is it that neat of a parallel that he can make to say, hey, joy is joy regardless of whether it's coming from a secular or a sacred source. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a yes and a no to that answer. Go ahead, Tom. No, Tom, you go ahead. What I mean by a yes and a no, you know, if I'm singing a song to my wife because I love her, there's going to be a lot of joy in that. And I do love her. We've been together a long time. Genuinely love her, genuinely enjoy being with her. Um, I can sing that song out in public, or I could go up on stage if anybody would be willing to listen Lord forbid, but if they would listen and sing that. But that doesn't mean it's going to have the same passion or the same joy and excitement when I'm singing it to my bride. I think it's a lot of times with music. So, yeah, Little Richard, I appreciated him. He was a pioneer. Um, His music did help a lot of people. But I got to tell you a quick true story. A friend of mine got called by a funeral home to do a funeral and didn't know the guy. And he said he'd do it, though, chance to preach the gospel. Turns out the guy was an old rocker didn't think that was a problem until the the owner of the funeral home said, by the way, in the middle of the service, he's got a special song he's requested. And my friend said, well, what song is that? He says, I really can't tell you, but it's going to go on for about 18 minutes. He said, you're kidding. So in the middle of the service, after he sat down and they brought on the song, it was Inagata De Vida, the entire 18-minute song, because this guy was a drummer and loved Inagata De Vida. And my friend said, I'm tapping my foot. And I'm thinking, this is a funeral. What am I doing? So it can go a lot of different ways. Uh, and, you know, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. My, fa- my favorite classical album is one by a guy called Ralph Vaughan Williams. He was an English composer. And it's the most hauntingly beautiful album I own. And I love it. Um, and he was a an Englishman that did a lot of church compositions, but secular compositions, too. After he died, I believe his, his wife wrote a book explaining that her husband was not a believer. He wrote songs for the church, and they're some of the most beautiful songs you'll ever sing. But he's, she said he was never a believer. And I think that makes the point that God can use secular people, Christian sure. people, fake Christian people, <laughs> to create beautiful music. And, and so, again, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And I can eat meat. God made it. And there's some people... You know, but on the other hand, there is a time when, you know, I got to turn this off. Hmm. Well, you know, the Rock's uh, opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, Andrew Lloyd Webber, 
Mm-hmm. That was big when I was back in college and coming out of college. And quite frankly, it helped a lot of my generation take a second look at Jesus. I don't think Andrew Lloyd Webber intended that. I don't think that's what Jesus Christ Superstar is really trying to do. And of course, there's no resurrection in it. He's just a man who dies. But the point is, the Lord in the midst of that said, you've designed it for one thing. I'm going to use it for something else. And indeed he did, because thousands of young people came to faith in Jesus, first getting turned on to that rock musical. And I mean, the awful awful movie, The Exorcist, made people think about Christ. I mean, I, I remember, you know, I think some people came to Christ going to that movie and coming out of there thinking... I don't want to end up where that demons are, those demons are coming from, you know? So, right. Hmm. Yeah, I think about the the theater uh, version of Les Miserables. That one always drives me to tears at the end with the death of Jean Valjean and, and just the oh, character yeah. that he was. So I think there is capacity to take joy if God has created everything, obviously through discernment that you said, Tom Parrish, but you can find joy in a lot of places in this world. Well, guys, we've got about uh, four minutes left or so. I wanted to finish our show today with a question for each of you. Uh, we had an assignment in one of my classes due here that I always appreciate hearing from the students on. And it's a final question. They get done reading a book called The Drama of Scripture that sort of takes them through the overarching narrative of Scripture and picks up on some of the key themes and some of the ideas and can kind of walk you through from Genesis to Revelation a bit. And the final question asked of them is, when you get to the other side, what are one or two questions that you really would like to ask God for uh, better clarity about? So, Tom Brock, you get to the other side, uh, whether it is pre-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, no rapture yeah. at all, you're on the other side. Uh, what's one question that yeah. you want to ask God when you get there? Well, my question is this. God, how can you predestine everything, and in, including people, whether they're going to be saved or not, and then hold people accountable if they're not saved? That, that's going to be my question, because that's I, I do believe God predestines us to salvation, and and the other, or the other way to put it is, God, why didn't you predestine everyone to salvation? Um, but I am going to, the question I is, okay, God, yeah, uh, how come I got saved and some others didn't? It's your predestining hand, but how is that fair? Uh, and Paul brings that up in Romans 9 and just says, well, uh, the, the clay shouldn't talk back to the potter. <laughs> but I, I still want to ask the question. So there you go. <laughs> Parish. I really want to understand Jesus' patience, because... I don't think I could tolerate the last 2,000 years. After the revelation of what he did on the cross and rose from the dead and the message of the gospel, it's still been a pretty rough world to live in. We still have a lot of people dying of starvation. And not because they have to, but there are government issues and all kinds of things. There's still so much violence and hatred. There's still much, so many heretics, even in the church. How does he tolerate that? Because I'll be honest, guys, I probably would have wiped the world out a long time ago. So be thankful that Jesus is God and not me. But I really want to understand how he loves us so much that he could tolerate things that I can't tolerate at all anymore. Hmm. Well, Tom Parrish, we started this hour here talking a little bit about the apocalypse and the end of, t- uh, end of all things. And I know it's been on a lot of listeners' minds. It's conversations that are out there quite a bit in the church these days. I wonder if you couldn't offer our listeners maybe some words of encouragement like the book of Revelation does related to the hope that we have here as we wrap things up. And maybe, uh, Tom Brock, if you could pray for our listeners and the people around that we can continue to just walk this out uh, and shine God's light in the world. People often ask me, Pastor, what's the book of Revelation all about? And I tell them it can be summed up in two words. Jesus wins. And that's really the bottom line. He will have the final word. He will dry every tear. Every wrong will be corrected. He will confront everything that's gone wrong in this world, and he will bring those that love him into eternal life. And so for the believer, when you really look at it, 
no matter what's happening in this world, we know where we're going, and we know who has the final word, and his name is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tom, Brock, well, would you mind praying for sure. our listeners? That'd be great. Let, let's do pray. Lord God, we want to pray for everyone hearing this program that, Lord, if they're going through stress because of this coronavirus, that you would just um, put their eyes on you and somehow give them supernatural peace, supernatural joy. We would pray, Lord, that you use this whole ordeal all over the world to bring lost people to saving faith in Christ, and and that all of our listeners might have an opportunity or two to talk about Jesus to somebody even this week before we meet again next Thursday. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, this is Guy Talk here on Thursday afternoon, hour one on the Bill Arnold Show. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this hour. You guys, always great insight. Appreciate all of what you bring to the table so faithfully week in and week out to the program. And I'm sure next week I'll be back in the chairs with you all uh, facing the questions of our listeners and what Bill brings to the table. But appreciate just the walking out this journey of faith with you too. Thank well, you, you're Bill, kind of Peter. aging Bill out, so be careful. You're doing a great job. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Well, that'll wrap up the show. Uh, Rebecca, I know we've got a great hour coming up here. Hour two, Bill is going to be back here, and we've got uh, the first half of hour two is going to be Greg, Greg Morris on biblical manhood and Rebecca Ree on being a Hebrew scholar, from what I understand. Yeah, she's great. You're going to love it. And we'll love it. So stay with us here. There's a lot more to come here on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Enjoyed my time with you. We'll catch you next week here on Guy Talk. I'm Peter Kapsner, signing off. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.